I realized last night as I was preparing to preach this morning that this month is the three-year anniversary of when I first came to CBC to intern. Now, I've come a long way since my JTI, Josh the Intern days, that seems like a decade ago, but I was just thinking it is such a blessing to be a part of this church. Serving here at CBC with you is such a joy to my life and my wife's life as well. So we're so thankful, and I'm really, really excited to be able to open up the Word with you this morning. Let's go ahead and pray. Uh, Pray with me that God would uh, speak to our hearts and really move in our service this morning. God, thank you so much for who you are this morning. God, let us feel your presence. Let us feel your love. Let us feel your uh, sovereign hand on this service, God. God, I know every week, I think in my in my own heart, God, I I would rather be meeting in person with everybody, but God, we know that you will not stop moving. Regardless of circumstances, God, you are on the move, you are strong, you are powerful, you are in control, and you have something for us this morning. We thank you for what you're going to do, in your name I pray, amen. All right, I'm going to go ahead and get a little vulnerable with you this morning, okay? Are you ready for this? I need to hear you in the comments about this as well. Have you ever made a mistake? Have you ever made a mistake? Go ahead, find the little raised hand emoji, okay, on your phone and drop that in the comments. Say, yes, I have made a mistake. Because I have too. My hand's up. But have you ever made a mistake that felt so irreversible and so horrible that it just seemed like it could never be fixed? I bet you've been there too. I mean, Poe body's nerfed, right? We all make mistakes. We do things that send these consequential ripples through the waters of our lives and the lives of those around us. Maybe you can't think of a big mistake right offhand this morning, but you probably know exactly how it feels to mess up big time. You know, you get that sinking feeling in your chest You start to feel so small and like nothing you could ever do could repair the wrongs that you've done. But we could probably consider most of our failures and mistakes to be pretty minor, right? We mess up every day, and it's not always this huge, irreversible thing. If you've ever made a little mistake, you know that uh, if you respond with a little bit of honesty and humility, things can be mended pretty easily. Most mistakes can be fixed if we respond to them properly. And the biggest part is usually just admitting that we were wrong. I would say one of the inventions that has helped me the most in life is the eraser. Probably even more than a car or electricity for me. It was the most important school supply that I had going through school because I made a lot of mistakes, especially in math class. Go ahead, drop in the comments if math is evil. If you agree with that statement, drop it in the comments. I want to know where my people are because math was not friendly to me. But what about those not so small mistakes that we can't just stick an eraser to? You might be thinking of one right now. What about those life rendering decisions that you wish you could go back and take back, but you just can't? That monumental screw up that just haunts you for the rest of your life. It wrecked your life and it changed everything. That one miscue that is 
etched into your brain forever. In that one moment that uh, resulted in immeasurable guilt that you still feel to this day. You missed your shot to do the right thing. The great thing. But you blew it. Think about sports. Some of the most all-time, most memorable failures come from the world of sports. Now think about it. We practice sports. We practice these things for all of our lives, some of us, for hours and hours and for days and days and years, trying to perfect uh, the craft of the sport that you play. But it's inevitable that you're going to make some errors. You're going to miss some plays. You're going to make some mistakes, no matter what sport that you play. Let's visit some of the big-time sports failures together this morning, okay? How about in 1986? Now, I'm not going to pretend I was there for this. This is almost a decade before I was born. But in 1986, when the Red Sox were up three wins to the Mets two, and Red Sox first baseman Bill Buckner let a ground ball go right between his legs to force a Game 7 that they would go on to lose to the Mets. They were an out away from winning the World Series. But history went in the other direction. Let's check out this clip real quick. Man, that is pretty painful to watch. Now, some of you guys might not be baseball fans, so let's check out football history. Now, what about in 2015, just a few years ago, when the Patriots were beating the Seahawks 28-24 to in the Super Bowl? And we were all cheering for the Seahawks to score as they were on the goal line with 20 seconds ago. I'm giving you the benefit of the doubt right now that you were cheering for the Seahawks and not the Patriots. But we all knew what was going to happen. They would hand the ball off to Marshawn Lynch, right? And he would beast mode right through the defense to secure the win. But no. Pete Carroll chose the most questionable play call in history and unexpectedly chose to throw a pass which was then intercepted by Malcolm Butler right on the goal line, securing the win for the Patriots. Let's see what happened. Play clock at five. Pass is intercepted at the goal line by Malcolm Butler. Unreal. Malcolm Butler, who almost made the phenomenal play. That wound up in Percy's arms. There are flags on the field for a celebration. Amazing. So I choose that Super Bowl failure to talk about because the 28-3 blown lead from the Falcons is a little too painful for me to stomach to this day. Now how about this more recent sports mistake? I'm just going to give you guys a picture for this one. And most of you guys are going to know exactly what happened. Let's check it out. And maybe you can't relate to any of these sports failures, but this one right hit you right in the gut. Scranton, Pennsylvania hero and philanthropist Michael Gary Scott pledged to a group of third graders that if they were to graduate high school, he would pay for all of their college tuition. Ten years later, he was invited to the school to be celebrated and thanked by a highly motivated graduating class. Let's check it out. Ready to graduate thought it was time to give you a proper thank you. Oh, 
And if you're unfamiliar with this story, after the tears of joy and the speeches and the songs, Michael Scott had to inform these students that he would not be able to pay for their college tuition. And I can feel the weight of the disappointment and the shame that would follow making a mistake of that magnitude. Now, you probably haven't lost a World Series or blown a Super Bowl or promised a bunch of kids college tuition that you couldn't back up. But I bet you can look back at your life and some of the mistakes you've made, some sins, some bad decisions that you wish you could take back for one more try. Wouldn't it be nice if we could just hop in the DeLorean and go back in time to when we messed everything up and go try again? But our mistakes are etched into history, and they can't be taken back. But this morning, we're going to celebrate, okay? This morning, we're celebrating the good news that we needed. See, the gospel gives us hope. The gospel says that although we can't undo our greatest failures, they can be redeemed by the grace of our God. This morning, we're going to read together in Romans chapter 5, through what is considered by some to be one of the most uh, theologically rich and challenging passages of the Bible. And if you're curious why we've spent so much time recalling our mistakes and our failures, look, I'm going to assure you, let me promise you, I'm not just trying to make you feel bad about your shortcomings today, okay? This isn't just me beating you up, getting you to think back about all of the worst moments of your life. However, it is important that we do understand our shortcomings this morning. We need to be an acknowledgement of our sins and our failures and why they are so frequent and how God responds to our constant failing. In Romans chapter 5, Paul basically summarizes the sequence of the worst possible event in history that was the result of the most infamous, terrible mistake ever made. But then, I promise we're going to end on a happy note, as Paul takes us from there to the most beautiful, unexplainable event in history that redeemed that wrong. Romans 5 tells the tale of two Adams. It tells the tale of two different Adams and the consequences that each one had on all of humanity. One Adam proved to us that we are all desperately sinful, and the other Adam proved to us that we are all unconditionally loved. One Adam butchered man's relationship with God. And the other Adam reconciled it back together perfectly through his finished work. Let's dive into uh, Romans chapter 5. We're going to be in verses 12 through 14, starting off here, if you're reading along with us. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. 
Now, this passage here in Romans 5 takes us all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, where sin was uh, kind of inaugurated into the world, where the fall of man changed everything. Think now about those mistakes we talked about earlier those sports mistakes or the the little mistakes that you can think of that you've made in the last week or in the last month or in the last year. They may seem a little more insignificant in the light of what happened in the garden with Adam. Because after all, this was the goat of all mistakes. This was the greatest failure of all time. Adam was tempted and he chose to listen to the enemy, to fold to the temptation He chose the promise of the enemy to believe that he knew better than God did. And he ignored the assurance and the promise of God. So Adam chose sin, and sin stuck. Sin became natural for mankind. Sin became inevitable, unavoidable, because it is what our hearts crave. It's what we enjoy naturally. Sin is in our DNA. Whether you want to admit it or not, it is so ingrained in our flesh. Has it ever made you mad thinking about Adam's sin in the garden? Go ahead, drop in the comments with a fist, okay? Because I know I've thought about it before when I think about all of the pain and the suffering and all of the terrible things in the world. I'm like, man, you know, this really could have just been fixed had Adam not taken a bite of that fruit in the garden. Have you ever felt mad at the sin of Adam? I mean, think about the results. It wasn't just like he sinned and God put him in time out. Because of his sin, we have hatred and evil and pain in the world. I know I've thought this before to myself. I can't believe Adam did that. Why couldn't it have just been me or somebody else in the garden, right? I mean, seriously, there were no problems, no pain, no hardships. And because sin entered the world, we now have death and sorrow and disaster. We live in a world that's corrupted by murder and rape and hatred. And all of this can be traced back to one act of rebellion in the garden. It wasn't that hard, Adam. I can't believe that you missed the mark here. And it's easy for us to be prideful in that way and criticize the sins of others. But this type of thinking is very problematic for us. Adam had that choice, and he chose to sin. And given the chance, I would have done the same thing. You know how I know that? I do the same thing every day. I make the same choice Adam did every day when I choose sin and myself over God. I mean, we've just read in Scripture, Paul just said in Romans chapter 5, death spread to all men because All sinned. There's the assurance there. If it was you in the garden, you would have done the same thing. To say that we would have chosen any more wisely would be foolish. It would be a contradiction to Scripture. I would have chosen the same thing. And I make the same choice that Adam did every day of my life. I choose my way over God's way. I choose what my heart tells me rather than what God tells me. I follow my own internal compass rather than navigating my life through the lens of the gospel and what Jesus says about my life. We need to remember not to become prideful when we consider the sins of others. Not just Adam, but all of us, the people sitting in your living room right now. 
It's easy to look at other people's sins as more offensive because maybe they offend us a little more. But the truth is all sin is offensive to God. We are all in this boat. We are all in this boat together. And none of us have ever been able to keep it from sinking. We need to stop looking at sinners and ask the question, how could they do that? And start asking the question, how could we do this? As humanity, how could we sin against a perfect and holy God? See, this is the doctrine known as original sin, which teaches that because of Adam's sin in the garden, we are naturally born sinful. Sin is in your DNA. Sin is in my DNA. And sin is not something we can avoid in our lifetime. I've heard it said before this way, we aren't sinners because we sin. We sin because we are sinners. Now, J.D. Greer says it this way. He says, spiritual death means uh, we are all born in a posture of rebellion against God. We come out of the womb, as it were, with a fist clenched towards the heavens. Have you ever wondered why you sin? If we're honest with ourselves, it's because we love it. And we choose it naturally. Have you ever sinned or done something wrong and you realized later it didn't even benefit you in any way? Have you ever lied just for the sake of lying? You don't even know why you did it. It didn't gain you anything. It didn't move you forward. It didn't do anything productive or stolen something or taking something that wasn't yours. It's because we love sin. Moments like that put the spotlight on the depravity of our souls. We do something wrong sometimes just because it's wrong. I read a story about uh, St. Augustine where he recalls a story from his teenage years. And he says this. He said he was hanging out with the wrong crowd. He was, uh, you know, middle-aged, not middle-aged, but he was a teenager in those mid-years, like 15, 16 years old. He was running around with the wrong crowd. They were playing sports one day. And on his way home, they found a pear tree. Okay, they found a pear tree sitting in some random person's yard. And so what did they do? They went and they started taking all the pears out of this guy's yard. They're plucking them off the trees. It wasn't theirs for the taking. It wasn't any of their family, nobody that they knew, but they saw the pears. They knew it was somebody else's and they wanted to take it. They didn't even like the pears, but they kept taking them. They kept taking them. Uh, away from this guy's yard. They tasted them. They said they didn't really like them that much, but they continued to pick all the pears off and take them. And he went on to say that later he went on to just feed some hogs with them. And he said, as he recalls that story uh, in his middle-aged years of his life, he's forever haunted by why he did that thing. He didn't like the pears. They weren't pleasing to the eye. They, they, benefited, they benefited him in no way at all. He took the pears because it was the wrong thing to do. It was sinful. It was wrong. And that's uh, where he leaned towards acting because he is naturally sinful. He simply had a desire in his heart to do what was wrong. And that's a hard thing for us to come to terms with sometimes. See, you weren't perfect as a baby and then labeled a sinner right when you sinned. You were born a sinner on this inevitable path of rebellion and hostility towards God. 
all because of Adam's sin in the garden. But guess what, though? Okay? No mistake, not Adam's, not any of yours that you're thinking about, are so bad that they cannot be redeemed by God. I told you that Romans 5 summarizes the tale of two Adams. And this is what the Bible is all about, right? The actions of two different Adams and all the space between when God's redemptive work and his rescue plan were being divinely put into place. See, there are two sides to the coin of the gospel. The story doesn't end in despair with us trapped in our sin. That is the bad news that you and I are sinners, hopeless, desperately needing a savior. But God made a way. The story of the gospel goes from the worst news ever to the best news ever. So let's pick up in verse 15, chapter 5, where Paul shifts his focus from Adam in the garden to the greater Adam. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. And this word justification means that we have been declared righteous. It's a legal term. It's used for the declaration of the righteous and the innocent, which is what we gain through the work of Jesus Christ. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by the one man's obedience, the many were made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans 5 tells the whole story. From one Adam to a second Adam. From a catastrophic failure to inconceivable grace. From hope being lost to hope in the cross forever. From slave to sin to victory over sin and grave. This is the gospel. Through Adam, we gained death, but through Christ, we find new life. Through Adam, we took on a curse, but through Christ, that curse was reversed. The most consequential mistake that was ever made was covered to look so small in comparison to the enormity of God's grace for you and for me. We made a mistake. A mistake was made in the garden, and it's a mistake that you and I make daily. We choose our way over God's way. We choose our sin over God's will. The consequences were death and pain and guilt and shame and hurt. 
And I know you've felt those, those things before because they are inevitable because of our sin. The consequences were not something that we could just climb out of or patch up or polish back to beauty on our own. But God knew that. That's why he took it upon himself to pay the price in our place by sending the second Adam, the greater Adam, Jesus Christ. See, God reconciling us back to himself has nothing to do with how good you are. It just has everything to do with how good God is because it's all on him. Being reconciled back to him has nothing to do with anything you've ever done. Your greatest moment in your life, your greatest works, that thing you look back at and say, man, I was really awesome for doing that. No, none of it. None of it could bring us back to relationship with God. This work of reconciliation was done by God and God alone. 2 Corinthians 5.18 says this, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. We could not reconcile ourselves back to the Father. So he did it himself. Do you ever feel like your sin and your mistakes are too wrong and too bad to be redeemed by the Father? Seriously, answer that question. Maybe to yourself, maybe to the group you're sitting with this morning. Do you ever feel like your sin is too much? Do you feel too far gone? Do you feel like your sin is too great to be redeemed? Paul reminds us here in Romans chapter 5. The act of one man, Adam, brought sin and death, but the act of uh, one man who was Jesus had the far greater impact. Yes, Romans 5 is the tale of two different Adams, but the greater Adam was Jesus who brought grace so much greater than all of our sin. Romans 5 says that where sin abounded and increased, grace abounded all the more. Think about it. The sum of every sin you've ever committed, stacked up with all of the sins that you ever will commit, stacked up with all the sins of the person next to you and all mankind, it's nothing but a speck to be swallowed up in the ocean of God's grace. The enormity of the sum of your guilt and your mistakes and your sin. It does not stretch further. It does not stretch deeper than the grace of God. They never have and they never will. Yes, your sin is that bad, but God's grace is that good. Mankind tested the mercy of the Father by doing the absolute most offensive thing to God. We sinned. But God's mercy and grace would not be outmatched. It would not be overshadowed. It will always be greater. No sin is so great that his grace is not greater. Think about your sin. Now remind yourself this. God's grace is more. Mistakes can't unhappen, but mistakes can be redeemed. And it's not because anything I've done. It's not because of anything that you can do. It's not because we deserve it. But it's because his grace abounds and covers all sin. Because he is that good. The band's going to go ahead and come up.
As we close today, I want us to enter a time of reflection. And I want you to do something with me. Look, you have messed up big time. You've failed. You have fallen short. Guess what? We all have. All of us. We're all sinners. And we all fall short of the glory of God. But the reach of God's redemption does not stop at you. You are not excluded from his grace. His grace is available. All you've got to do is accept it. Acknowledge that you are a sinner, that you are a failure, just like me. How could we accept grace if we didn't know we needed it? You can't be saved if you don't understand your need for a savior. You are a sinner. You have messed up. You have made mistakes. There's nothing that can't be redeemed by the grace of God. Let's be real about our sins this morning. I want us all to seriously consider our shortcomings, our mistakes, our sins, our failures. And this might get a little bit uncomfortable. But guess what? Being comfortable with our sin is not a proper response to God's grace. I want you to do something bold this morning. Something a little out of the norm. And this might take a little bit of work. Maybe you want to do it with the group you're watching with this morning. And maybe you just want to do it by yourself. Either way is totally fine. This morning, I want you to take a piece of paper. Maybe you have one next to you right now. Maybe you just want to wait till after the service. That's fine. But I want us to do this as a church. Take a piece of paper this morning. Spend five or ten minutes or however long you want. Maybe you want to spend the day jotting down your sins, your shame, your mistakes, the places that you have failed. And it seems so irreversible. Be honest with yourself when you do this. What are those mistakes that haunt you? That have instilled shame into your heart and controlled your life? Now, when you're done writing this list, I want you to think about how offensive our sin is to God. But then I want you to do something else with the list. I want you to take a Sharpie or a marker or something bold, something big, and write with it and cover that entire list with the word grace. Take that list. Consider it. Consider how horrible our sin is in the presence of an offense or a holy God. But don't stop there. I want you to cover that entire list with the word grace. I want us to proclaim this morning that our, uh, God's grace is greater than all of our sins. This grace that was bestowed on us by Christ, who reversed the curse so that we could be saved. Let's celebrate that grace this morning.